Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Circular Economy Playbook, the podcast all about our tricky relationship with stuff and how to fix it. I'm Ali Moore, Head of Communications and Behaviour Change at ReLondon, and I'm joined today by our Built Environment Lead, and she's also our Commercial Manager, Andrea Charlson. Hey, Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ali. Really pleased to be co-presenting this episode with you. Um, it's a subject very close to my heart and one I'm deeply passionate about. Yeah, I've, I've definitely experienced that passion firsthand. So today we're featuring a business that has been championing the circular economy within the construction industry for over three decades. And you know them, don't you, Andrea? Yes, I do. Um, I've been working with them for quite a number of years, actually, and was really delighted to chair their session at our own Circular Economy Week this year in June. We talked about how the industry can make steel reuse much more common practice by overcoming some of the challenges and barriers through basically increasing collaboration with everyone across the whole supply and value chain. In construction, it's really important, whether it's office refurbs or housing or transport infrastructure, all of these projects generate a huge demand for new materials. When actually the demolition of existing buildings could actually be a source of reused materials for us, that would reduce the amount of materials we use overall. Yeah, quite right. And and to today's guest, so just to introduce him, is Roy Fishwick. He's the Managing Director of Cleveland Steel and Tubes, which does exactly what it says on the tin. Roy's been a pioneer for reusing materials and in particular repurposing steel into new construction projects for many years. And he likes to demonstrate that this really is a viable route. Yes, and it is a viable route. And Roy is a fantastic advocate for change around reuse in the the steel industry and actually in the construction industry more broadly as well. And the reason why that's kind of so important is because at the moment, less than 5% of steel is reused. Currently, the majority of it is recycled. And obviously, you know, we usually think that recycling is is a good thing and, and it is. But for steel, when we recycle it, what we actually do is we remelt it. So we make it liquid again and then we recast it into the new shapes that we need so that requires a lot of heat to melt the steel which requires a huge amount of energy which is very very carbon intensive whereas when we're reusing a piece of steel there's some transportation you know getting it from the demolition site to the new site and there'll also be a little bit of reprocessing to make sure it's the right size and stuff but that lot less emissions associated with when than actually melting the steel As we're about to hear from Roy, using reused steel holds enormous potential for reducing the emissions and really should be much more attractive to engineers and and architects and developers who want to improve the environmental performance of what they're doing in the construction sector. When we talked with Roy about this during the Circular Economy Week session, he said he's been really invigorated by meeting leaders and, and colleagues in the construction sector who are passionate about wanting to build a more sustainable industry. And he's been working for years now to try and sweep away the obstacles that, that have stopped reuse happening in the past. Yeah, he's been working in the industry for a while, hasn't he? Um, yeah. He told us he's been at Cleveland Steel for more than 30 years. And in the interview, he describes how what started as a family business in wartime has now morphed and changed. So now they're keeping up their repurposing credentials by doing things like like buying old oil field pipes, which is yeah, a nice a nice turn of events, actually, turning oil field pipes into something sustainable. So buying up old pipes and tubes and using them for construction, which can then have another life in everyday structures. So all sorts of things. I mean, there's pilings that you don't see under the ground with large building developments or kind of on show, visible in the construction of stadiums or other types of buildings. So basically anything that requires a steel tube or a pipe. So on to the interview now. Roy, do you want to just very quickly introduce yourself? 
Uh, Roy Fishwick, I'm the Managing Director at Cleveland Steel and Tubes based in North Yorkshire. I've worked here now for formally and for a few years prior to that, even as a student, etc. Wow, that's quite a long run in the same industry, in the same business. Tell me a little bit about the, the business. What do you do and what's your mission? How did it start? Cleveland Steel and Tubes is a family business, or was it? Well, it is a family business still. Uh, the, the original founders were French-Italian, but their history was in the metals industry going back even as far as the Second World War. So it's always been the case that they were buying material, steel material for mm. reuse and repurposing. Um, this was it's just what we've done since forever. So the primary model now is to buy oil field pipes and tubulars and repurpose them into construction. So a huge amount of what we sell goes into piling, but it's also gone into stadia, basically anything that requires a steel tube or pipe. I mean, it sounds as though with that history, it didn't start necessarily from a place of sustainability. It, it sounds as though it was simply practical. It sort of feels very much now, and this comes out in conversation with demolition guys as well, because of the emphasis now on the sustainability and circular economy, we're actually revisiting places and practices that were just much more common historically mm. when the world was less well-off, to be blunt. Yeah. So people were reusing steel because it was cheaper. They were reusing steel because it wasn't wasteful. And it's from times 40 years ago when things like waste and cost were just significant aspects of people's budgets or anything else come to that. Yeah. Um, so it was more normal practice, full stop. But it was entirely a, a financial endeavour, to be blunt, in the original instance. The business was born out of wartime necessity and founded by French-Italian metal workers. Was this because of an increased need for munitions or was it just general changes in manufacturing that was happening around this period? No, it was much more basic, which was that the war effort required scrap metal to make all this stuff. Mm. The, the material wasn't going into anything as a reuse or repurpose. It was just the recycling aspects. Now, obviously, we're facing a global climate crisis in addition to issues around material reuse and steel in particular. So that's a resource that's really energy intensive to produce. It requires really, really high temperatures, which is a, a contributor. So what's the scale of the steel problem globally? And why do we need to make sure that we're reusing this stuff? It's massive. Estimated 27% of global CO2 comes from steel production. Wow. Which is huge. But the issue, of course, is that steel is involved in just so many aspects of the goods that we use. Mm. Anything from pins to high-tech stuff. So it's not just the construction industry. It's just through every part of our lives. But you're taking estimated two tonnes of carbon per tonne of steel produced which is why reuse is so important because reuse actually is as low as 40 or 60 kilos of carbon to allow for reuse. So that's the figure for reuse. What about recycling? I mean, melting old steel down to use as something else. Presumably that's much higher? The very simple numbers be basic, but two tonnes is for like virgin steel made from ore, 600, 700 kilos per tonne for recycling mm. the thing that's fundamental is that steel's been recycled at 95 to 98 percent efficiency for a long time now mm. so the recycling is a part of the current climate emergency that we're in right which is not to say i think recycling is bad but we can't make it better as in we can't recycle more we can't have a, a greater effect so the whole emphasis on steel production has to be on reduced energy inputs yeah and green energy to produce it 
Whereas if you can reuse the steel and prevent the need for it to be manufactured, then that's a genuine improvement on the planetary carbon. Mm. Because there's really only thought to be less than 10%, I think possibly less than 5% of steel is currently reused as opposed to recycled. So there's a lot of scope. Yeah, it sounds like there's a really big market out there potentially and some real improvements to be made. What, what's getting in the way of that then? And why aren't there more people doing it? For me, the immediate practical problem is that recycling has been so efficient. And in fact, you still hear the argument repeatedly that, well, what's the problem? We recycle it all. Yeah. For years, the green message has been more recycling. Whereas in fact, with steel, that's not practically possible. So actually, it's a redundant message. And then the other thing, there's a few, I mean, I call it buyer inertia, but it's people problems. So people consider there will be an insurance risk. People consider that the material might be inferior or cause them problems. But most of these things are conceptual issues rather than actual practical issues. One of the other things that frustrates me is that reuse isn't legislated for. Now, it's not legislated against, mm. But it means that you're always looking for interpretations and permissions to use it, for want of a better way of putting it, by proving that it's not disallowed. It would be so much more helpful if there was specific guidance and practical notes from government level saying it can be done, that it is acceptable, that it is allowed. Because in steel specifically, going back to 2012, and it's why I got involved with all of the sort of sustainability arguments, etc., CE marking came in in 2012 and the industry was told they had to use brand new harmonised standard steel production for all new buildings. But it's not actually true. So I started lobbying the EU and the UK governments back in 2012, 2011 even probably. If all of construction had to use new production, then our business was going to lose 30 to 50% of its volume overnight. It became very obvious very quickly that my concerns should be shared by anybody with environmental interests. Mm. And we pursued it at EU and UK level to the point where we got acceptance from the UK authorities that reuse was acceptable in construction and that the regulation did allow for it if interpreted correctly. But that's the problem, interpreted correctly. It shouldn't have to be interpreted. It should be blazed across it in big letters and that would make a massive difference. So there's this problem with an assumption by developers, I guess, that it's not allowed. But it, but you also mentioned insurance and concerns about the quality of reuse steel. Is there any reality in that? Any foundation to those assumptions? Basically, no. The steel itself, if protected from the environment, doesn't degrade in its physical characteristics. So it will obviously rust and rot, and that's significant. It's clearly not very good if you've set it on fire or physically mangled it. As long as it's a, a piece of steel in the same shape and form as it was when it was made and it's been protected from corrosion and dynamic stresses, then it will carry those same performance criteria basically forever. Now, there is an issue with reused steel in the sense that it will have been something before. So there will be holes, attachments, paint coatings, things like that, which will create a practical consideration from one application to another. But, but that's where people have to apply themselves, basically. Not all steel can be returned to its absolute virgin state, but not all steel has to be in order to be reused going forward. Do you think then that it's being used for hidden elements of construction, or is there more appetite, do you think, to use it visibly? Interesting you just mentioned that, because what I was just going to say was that I've quizzed the architects and engineers that I've worked with now over the last few years, 
and the general acceptance in construction is that 95% of steelwork is hidden from view or not cosmetic after the project's finished. What is happening now, there's an appetite for the reuse to be evidenced, so they're actually quite happy to have, in this instance, shear studs that have been cut off a beam, but to actually see them, they're, they're interested to have it visible, to demonstrate the reuse, to prove that they've done that feels to me like quite an exciting and creative thing to do to showcase the building's environmental credentials. What sort of steel reuse projects have been exciting you? The one that I've got to mention first because it gave the whole business a thrill was the Jubilee tree, the tree of trees. That was exclusively constructed from our material. So that was a great project to be involved with. Mm. Yes, I've seen that, yeah. And there's a couple of others that stand out. One of them's really basic, which was a bridge in the Yorkshire Dales. The bridge was condemned. It was two or three hundred years old, had a lot of farm traffic and modern traffic across it and was collapsing. So we were able to supply reused beams to create a new deck for that bridge and save it. And the reason I'm so pleased with that is it's just so simple and so easy and so basic. It's something that could be repeated many times over without all of the complex engineering requirements, sort of the physical interference of hulls, and it, it's just such an easy win. There's an awful lot of opportunity for reuse that's based on simpler jobs, so uh, domestic renovations or refurbishments in office blocks where there's walls coming out and there's joists and things to go in. All of those things are really easy wins for the reuse market. The other one which has been publicised quite a lot now is the Grosvenor project at Holbein Gardens. And the reason I like that so much was it's what I would class as a hybrid project. So right from the start, the ambition was just to get the carbon as low as was practicable at the time. We were able to incorporate reused material at the design stage and then we were able to incorporate more as the production became real and time had passed and more material became available. But we blended it with material that they had available as reuse, material that we had available, and then new. But it remained fluid, and there was a lot of conversation and dialogue that meant we got the best outcome. One of the things I struggle with at the moment is if people set arbitrary targets at the start of a job, sourcing reuse material when the job itself may not happen for a year, 18 months, two years is a significant issue. How do you ensure the material is available two years later? You wouldn't go and look for a second-hand car today if you wanted it Christmas next year. So is there a pipeline issue? Is there a supply issue? Like, Do you get consistent supplies in or does it kind of peak and trough a bit? It's hard work. At the moment, supply to me is, is the single biggest issue we face. It comes from a couple of primary issues as far as I'm concerned. The first one is that all of the emphasis on, is on building new buildings with low-carbon footprints. Mm. We can only do that if somebody takes some time and attention in demolishing stuff. If we don't divert the material from the scrap, then the reused material for low-carbon new buildings simply doesn't exist. Yeah, so it's a, it's a whole chain thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And then the other problem is the efficiency of the scrap and recycling route. So it's such common practice in demolition for stuff just to get mashed up, chopped into short pieces and scrapped. And that's been really emphasised the last probably two years, but definitely the last eight or nine months because scrap prices were so high. I mean, scrap more than doubled in the last two years until April, May of this year. It's fallen back now more than 40%. So the demolition guys are suddenly more interested to be in dialogue with us because their return on the scrap from buildings is suddenly less appealing. 
But there was a period of time where I'm sure a lot of demolition companies were making good money because they'll have quoted the jobs when the prices were lower and the price just kept rising. They were just causing themselves work to repurpose it when they could actually scrap it for good money. It's changing now. I'm seeing a lot of change in the last few months. So the demolition industry has become very engaged with the likes of ourselves. So they're looking now because clients are asking about the carbon credentials and the reuse. So you're seeing the demolition industry engaging with the circular economy now in a way that was unthinkable even a year, 18 months ago. Big asset owners are also questioning this. So they're looking at their existing asset to see what they can do with it within their own construction. But the advantage of that is it gives me the opportunity to make sure they also then sell what they can't use to the likes of ourselves to feed the supply chain. It sounds like a complex set of levers and hopefully things will improve now the whole supply chain is starting to see the benefits. So asset owners and consumers are asking about the circular economy and green credentials. Is there any other innovation in the construction industry that's driving circular material reuse at the moment? So I actually think most of the innovation and most of the breakthroughs need to come from people and good practice. From the steel side of things, it's a commodity when push comes to shove. And in fact, one of the issues about reuse, of course, is what you're trying to get people to do is use material that is old and therefore not new and innovative. So I actually think the real groundbreaking stuff is going to come from individuals that find solutions to problems in refurbishment particularly. So leaving existing assets standing and getting the best use from them in the lowest carbon fashion, basically pushing the message and making things happen. I would love to think there would be some degree of legislative help in all of this, but I'm not that excited at that prospect because I've been involved now for quite a long time with things like government initiatives and quick is two or three years. And I think this market now is moving much faster than the legislation can follow. So it might eventually turn up, but it will be mirroring reality rather than promoting change. Yeah, we hear that a lot, that business is moving quite a lot faster than government. Are there any changes you've seen that have genuinely excited you, though, in the past year or so? Really made you enthusiastic? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's most refreshing is the appetite for change. And if I'm being honest, and I'm a bit old and grumpy now, but a lot of the sustainability professionals are younger people, and they really are invested in this, so they want to see the change. People that are involved and the people coming through are really engaged, really keen, really want to see this happen. And normally, change is a problem, isn't it? Most people resist it, don't like it. And there's definitely tiers of that within construction. But the general appetite, the speed of change in the last year or 18 months is not like anything I've seen in my 30-odd years in this industry anyway. Are property investors also keeping up and pushing for financing around this? Absolutely. Most of the jobs now have to demonstrate the green credentials before a lot of the finance houses are prepared to put money in. Mm. British land, Crown Estates, Grosvenor Estates, very, very big property and asset owners, and they're all looking at this very actively now. So it's part of their criteria to getting things sorted. HS2 would be another example. I used to be very cynical about it. A lot of it was about box ticking, filling in the right boxes on the paperwork, on the bids, blah, blah, blah. But you're seeing people actually wanting to see practical change now, wanting to see actual result. I chair the Sustainability Committee for the British Construction and Steelwork Association. If you go back five or six years, all of the attendees were there to listen to what was going on so they knew how to fill the forms incorrectly. Now there are people there who actually want to know what to do to make things better. That's really cheering. I'm really pleased to hear that. 
one of the things that I've given me the most hope altogether is that I've met a number of people now, professionals in this industry, right from architects through to fabricators, where the ethical element of improving the climate emergency is what matters to them most. Mm. So yes, we're all doing business and we all have to make money in business in order to survive. But there are people that don't want to see greenwashing, don't want to see things just being a box ticked. They really want to see things happening on a practical level. Mm. And I think they're staking their personal and professional integrity on it. Because I don't think, unfortunately, the, the, the true and best results aren't going to come from government. It's just always too slow. It's going to come from the fact that people drive it, people make it happen, people demand it, and then industry will follow because people pay all the bills at the end of the day. So my final question, Roy, is Cleveland Steel is is obviously a global business and it works across North America and you trade across the globe. How's the UK market measuring up to other nations in terms of embracing the circular economy? The UK is leading a lot of this and I think that's something a to be proud of but b that we mustn't lose momentum or lose our way with it because the thing that i learned a number of years ago with the lobbying is that most of the standards most of the government initiative does reflect real world practice so they don't shut people in a cupboard somewhere and ask them to write a specification they gather the evidence of what's going on analyze that decide what's sensible and what's not and produce the standards from it i mean the dutch are pretty good a lot of the rest of europe's not that engaged currently properly some of the scandinavian countries not so bad the us and canada as far as i can tell are going the wrong way at the moment so they're all about highly demanding specifications for steel performance etc which is what what i started lobbying 10 years ago so if i use that as a simple gauge they're 10 years behind us in terms of making the allowances for reuse and repurposing circular economy stuff the point being if we really are sort of leading the charge here so it's even more important to keep the momentum and get it right. Thanks so much to Roy for chatting with me. It's great to hear that the UK is leading the way in creating circular economy practice across the construction sector. Always happy to hear that. Let's hope that legislation can keep up both in the UK and elsewhere to support reuse and repurposing so that other cities have got a model that they can follow too. Yes, and Roy brought up some really interesting and and hugely relevant points that waste and cost were much bigger considerations 30 years ago and further back into the mid-20th century. And Mm. because of that, it it made it much more normal practice to reuse. Back then, getting new materials was a real financial barrier, which is stark contrast to how it's been recently, where the efficiency of recycling and the speed and convenience of it seem to make material reuse the more difficult thing to do mm. i do wonder actually ali if that's going to maybe start changing a little bit now actually as you know the global yeah. supply chains are getting a bit more constrained yeah i guess so i think that we're going to see a lot of change around um, supply chain management and cost factors coming much more into play aren't we over the next year or two and maybe that will shift a few things for businesses like roy's but yeah there's also this perception isn't there that reuse is, is somewhat of a substandard quality that it's somehow less effective than new, that it could be kind of faulty or have weaknesses in it. Yes, and it's compounded by the fact that there's no kind of clear legislational guidance that allows steel to be reused. Um, like it's not prohibited, but it's it's tricky. There's a lot of hoops that it needs to jump through. And the fact that Roy's been lobbying for that for 10 years to make the case for reuse highlights the gap between assumptions and acceptance. 
Yeah, agreed. But there's definitely hope, isn't there? Because, I mean, he talked about that wonderful Tree of Trees sculpture that was commissioned for the Jubilee celebrations that were that Cleveland Steel constructed completely out of their own reclaimed materials. And I think that's a really great creative example of how that gap can be narrowed. But also there's an argument here about standardisation, obviously, that I think the more simple and standard the design of a building is, and I'm sure this is something that we've talked about before, Andrea, that if you, we have much more simple and standard buildings designed, we're much more likely to be able to get reclaimed materials and structural components to build them with, rather than all the bespokery that might be involved in buildings where you have to construct something from scratch. But it's not always easy to find the reclaimed materials either, is it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and those kind of sculptural examples are, are great. But we're also actually starting to see more and more yeah, kind of normal building examples that are able to incorporate small amounts of reclaimed steel which is which mm. is absolutely excellent usually because of the design as you just mentioned but ensuring there's a consistent supply of materials like currently really is genuinely hard work mm. so we do need to make it easier and more accessible and I think the the real innovations are going to come from those who can find solutions that help match like the problems of like supply and demand and also you know this certification or testing and stuff like that yeah and yeah, we've got a project called Circuit at the moment, which is really trying to address that. It's a collaborative project that ReLondon are doing with Copenhagen, Hamburg and Vanta. And we're looking at how cities can drive a more systemic shift to circular construction approaches. So helping to promote and pilot interventions that can solve these problems and make all of these ideas more normal. So what have you done already? You've done some, there's already been some stuff you're doing on Circuit around this, isn't there? We have, yes. So specifically looking at like, this reuse challenge. Early on in the project, we produced um, a small toolkit specifically focused at the UK market, showcasing how you can think about incorporating reused elements into your project, like the kind of processes that you might need to go through and when, particularly around procurement, and also highlighting a range of suppliers of reclaimed materials in, in Cleveland steel and tubes. And the current solution that we are piloting is a digital one, which is a online materials exchange portal which is really trying to raise the visibility of the availability of reclaimed components so drawing together information from lots of different data sources and making it really accessible to um, a designer and yeah for anyone who's interested in finding out a bit more about those two things or any of the other work we're doing in London or our European partners please have a look at the project website circuit-project.eu and we'll put it in the show notes as well brilliant and thanks andrew for taking the time to co-host with me today and thanks to all our listeners as ever for tuning into this episode of circular economy playbook you can catch up on all our other episodes and hear ideas from more brilliant thinkers on this podcast feed so just subscribe in your favorite app and if you'd like to get in touch you can tweet us at relondon underscore uk or head to the website which is relondon.gov.uk thanks again and see you again soon